Well, your Bibles are open to Romans 12, and you'll notice that one of the topics right out of the gate is that of spiritual gifts. Ah, yes, spiritual gifts. One of the most debated topics in the church. Uh, and yet, I would say it's one of the most necessary topics in the church. Don't you find it intriguing that in Romans 12, after 11 chapters of theology, Paul pretty much gets right into spiritual gifts as his first discussion. And so the debate, the hot debate around spiritual gifts that continues should not scare us or prevent us from embracing all that God teaches us about spiritual gifts. After all, spiritual gifts are, are God's manifest presence and power in the church for the common good of the church. We say this around here often that it's God in the gifts, not God and the gifts. And so for this whole month of May, we're going to be teaching a five-week series on spiritual gifts based out of Romans 12 for the common good two. You'll notice the two there. It's because there was a season one for the common good one. Uh, in that series last year, we talked from 1 Corinthians 12 about spiritual gifts. And this year, we're going to root our study in Romans chapter 12 for the series called For the Common Good Two. My aim today is to show you spiritual gifts and their placement and priority. And I want to use Romans 12 to kind of showcase uh, their incredible importance and their need and just where they're placed and how they're used, especially in light of Romans 12. So your Bibles are open there. I think it's wise if we could, before we dive into specifically verses three through eight, is to give you a review of for the common good one by showing you, first of all, the three primary passages that instruct us about spiritual gifts, all right? Notice 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and 1 Peter 4. Those are the three primary passages about spiritual gifts in the New Testament. Now, some would add Ephesians 4 to this list. Um, it does list a number of what could be considered gifts. I tend to see them more as church offices, but admittedly, often a church office overlaps with a gift that is used in that office. And so I can see it going either way. I tend to lean towards these three being the primary passages about spiritual gifts. Last year, we looked at 1 Corinthians 12 in For the Common Good 1. We're going to look this month at Romans 12 in For the Common Good 2. And then next year, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter 4 in the third season of the For the Common Good series. While we're still reviewing, let me just remind you that in our 1 Corinthians 12 series, we did see uh, three primary words emerge from primarily verse 7. They were these words, unity, variety, and profitability. Now, we did look at verses 4 to 28, and we just kind of gave a cursory scan of, of the gifts listed there. We didn't spend a lot of time talking about them individually. We mainly looked at verse 7, but it did give us a good understanding of of kind of how spiritual gifts operate and why they operate and of their necessity. And so you'll find now as we enter into Romans 12, you're going to find that we're going to bring three couplets of words to your attention out of these verses. So in season one, it was three words. Now in season two, we're going to bring three couplets of words or six actual words. And here they are from Romans 12. Here's what you're going to see emerge from verses uh, about three through eight, which are the specific ones about spiritual gifts. We're going to see that spiritual gifts require sobriety with humility. Uh, they're rooted in unity with variety. 
and they result in functionality with profitability. So with that being said, your Bibles are open. Let's take a look at these six verses that we'll unpack over the month of May. I'll be doing this in tandem with Pastor Travis. We're going to kind of leapfrog uh, this series. I'll take week one today. He'll take week two next week. I'll have week three in that fashion until we uh, see these truths just um, and understand them more and, and, and the insight behind them over this month of May. So let's read these verses, verses three through eight first, and see the, where these words emerge, all right? Romans 12, verse three, Paul would write this, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And so in that singular verse, do you notice the idea of sobriety? You see, he says to think with sober judgment or sound mindness or self-discipline. And then he says not to think too highly or lowly, but to think correctly, rightly, appropriately. So it's just humility combined with sobriety. It's required as you enter into a discussion of and usage of spiritual gifts. That's what verse three simply says to us. Verse four and five, look this with me. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So here you see the idea of unity with variety. This is a repeated theme from 1 Corinthians 12. And so we're gonna see in this current series, yes, some repeated themes, but also some expanded themes. This shouldn't surprise us. Uh, if the same author's writing to Christians in Rome as well as Christians in Corinth, he's gonna bring some repeated themes to both of them because the truth is the same in both locations. Here though, Paul kind of goes to great lengths to say that we are members of Christ and in Christ, but also of one another. And so he shows that there is variety and that we have different gifts, but we have these gifts uh, to share with each other and the commonalities that we have them in Christ. Now notice just specifically here, he actually says we are members of one another. And so sometimes in the church, we keep thinking that our membership is in Christ and, and that's true. But here he goes to lengths to say that we are members of each other. So don't ever underestimate or undervalue what it means to belong in community to one another. There's a sense of, of, of rightful, um, I wouldn't say ownership, but there's a sense of rightful belonging that we share because we are in Christ together. Now, let me be frank with you on something. Paul here does not have in mind church membership as in a paper form you fill out and you join a church in that way, you get on their database. That's not what he's thinking. However, I would say to you, that is a legitimate way to express what this passage is teaching, which is that we do belong to each other. We belong to Christ. We are in Christ as one. And could it be that a a, a really good way to express that is by actually publicly identifying with a local faith family. So in light of that, let me just simply remind you, if you are a current member of First Family Church, uh, we encourage you to go ahead and affirm your membership before the end of May. We've been doing that this year so we can bring greater distinction and greater protection to our body. And so if you're a current member, membership affirmation by the end of May. But if you're not a member, but you are attending here, you're involved here, but you don't think membership really matters, I would challenge you on that because it may be one of the best ways to publicly express 
what this passage is teaching, that we actually belong to one another. We're members of one another in Christ. So this variety and unity is seen here in verses four and five. It's really uh, where our spiritual gifts are rooted, that we have many people, many gifts, many functions, and yet we operate as one in Christ. And then in verses six through eight, he shows the functionality of the gifts. And I think the, the profitability is implied in the sense that these gifts are always done to someone else or for the benefit of someone else. In fact, the phrase before he lists the gifts is the phrase one another. So I'm comfortable saying that in this list of gifts here, there's seven of them. He's, he's encouraging functional use or functionality with, and we could even say assumed profitability. In other words, you're to use them and they're to help someone, to strengthen them, to edify them. In fact, I love the way that Paul words the list of the gifts here. His, his phrase in verse six is, let us use them, right? In other words, employ them, get busy with them. But then he lists seven of them and it almost seems repetitious. Do you notice this? He says, if it's prophecy, then prophesy in proportion to your faith. If it's service, then serve. If you're teaching, then teach. And so that almost seems like, well, that seems repetitious. Here's what I think Paul's doing. He's saying, guys, if your gift is teaching, then start teaching. Actually make your gift functional. Use them, employ them. Now, some of the modifiers are different as you get to the end of the list, such as with a contribution or giving, he says, be generous. With leadership, he says, do it zealously. Uh, if you're showing acts of mercy, do it cheerfully. So there are different modifiers. But regardless of how you take these, I think Paul's point is make sure that your life moves beyond just thinking rightly about yourself and living rightly with those that you're members of. Use your gift. So again, here's simply a, a brief overview of these three verses that discuss spiritual gifts in Romans. Sobriety with humility is required. They're rooted in unity with variety and they result in functionality with profitability. Now, as I said, Travis and I will be teaching these phrases and unpacking them more in depth over the month of May. My goal today is to show you how these gifts uh, are prioritized and how they're placed within this overall text. And so to do so, I wanna make sure you understand this list in three through eight, and these thoughts, these truths, they do not stand in isolation. This text is not quarantined, okay? Uh, this doesn't exist alone. Now, these gifts are prioritized and they're placed here on purpose, which I think, by the way, is intriguing. It's the first lengthy topic Paul gets into after 11 chapters of theology, it's the first lengthy topic Paul addresses when discussing how to apply God's work of salvation. So I think it's interesting. Spiritual gifts matter. They're important. They're necessary. But they're not disconnected from what he says in 1 and 2. And that's why I want you to notice a single word in verse 3 that introduces all of his thoughts about the common good manifestations, which is what spiritual gifts are. They're simply common good manifestations of God's presence and power. As he talks about those, he introduces that conversation with this word for in verse three. Do you see it? So that says to me something. 
What he says in three through eight is tied to what he must be saying in one and two. Four is a transition word. So, so what is he transitioning from? How is three through eight hinged or connected or linked to one and two? Well, it's in the idea of inside out transformation. That's what he's basing his discussion about spiritual gifts on. So I would say this, the common good manifestations, they're linked to the work of God in our hearts, what I would call inside out transformation. Now notice in verse two, there are two verbs I want you to, to pay attention to. The first is a negative verb. It says, do not be conformed to the world. But then he follows that with a positive verb, be transformed. Now, Listen very carefully. These are the only two imperatives in these eight verses. In a grammatical sense, these are the main verbs. Now, I admit to you that there are several commands here. And my personal belief is that these other commands, they feel the force of these two imperatives. So it's not wrong to say there are several things we must do based in these eight verses. And in some sense, they do carry equal weight. I, I, I get that. But from a grammatically technical sense, the two verbs that really supply the force for every other command are these two, these imperatives in which we're not to do something and we are to do something. I see them as like one coin with two sides. We're not to be conformed and we are to be transformed. And this gives weight to what he says in verses three through eight. Now let's talk about this for a bit. When he says we're not to be conformed, it's, it's the word for being shaped or molded. It, it means to be squeezed, uh, to be um, kind of formed by something from the outside. So the idea of pressure is intended in this word. And Paul says here, we're not to be pressured or squeezed into the culture or the world's mold. Instead, we are to be transformed. This is the word... Uh, from which we get our word metamorphosis. So it has the exact opposite meaning. We're to be changed from the inside out. You know, think uh, caterpillar to butterfly. That's what's going on with this word. We're to be transformed. Paul says here that this is the important work that must happen if we are to see spiritual gifts used properly and appropriately. If we're to think rightly about ourselves, serve others properly, we must have an inside-out transformation occurring in our life. God's work must be changing us from the inside out, developing his character in us. And he says here it occurs by the renewal of our mind. So do you see Paul's emphasis on the inside? He says it starts in your mind, changing how you think, God changing what we believe, changing our thoughts. And that comes out in our actions. So inside-out transformation is fundamental to common good manifestations. One and two is fundamental to three to eight. Let's notice some more about this transformation that occurs. He says that as this occurs, we'll be able to prove what is the will of God. Now, there's always been questions about, so what is the will of God? I think in this text, what we see the will of God to be is three through eight. And this is a logical flow, by the way. The will of God is that you use your spiritual gifts, that you think rightly about who you are, how God has made you. You think correctly about your place in the body, your membership in it. 
and then you live using your spiritual gifts. That is the will of God. And you'll find that that kind of life is good, acceptable, and perfect. Or the word there is complete or mature. I especially like the word mature because this, this, descri this describes a mature Christian, one in whom God is working his inside out transformation. Let me pause there and just simply say this. Some see these modifiers at the end of verse two. The modifiers are good, acceptable, and perfect as maybe modifiers of God's will, such as God's will is perfect. God's will is good and God's will is acceptable. Others see it as saying that God's will gives evidence to what is good, perfect, acceptable, saying that you'll be able to test and prove that and that is God's will. I tend to take the latter view and I think what is good and acceptable and mature is the lifestyle laid out in three through eight. And by the way, we shouldn't consider this odd that Paul would call something really large like spiritual gifts, the will of God. You know why? Consider what he says in the epistles when he says that this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Paul there uses a large umbrella term to talk about the will of God. Another place he says that it's God's will that we give thanks. So it's not uncommon or unbiblical to say the will of God in this text is using spiritual gifts appropriately. That's good. That's acceptable. That's mature. And how does that occur? As God changes us and transforms us from the inside out. So see, first of all, that common good manifestations are hinged to, they're linked to inside out transformation. And that's based on the word four in verse three. Now, let me just stay here a little longer because I, I love these first two verses. He says that we're to be transformed and not conformed. These are both passive uh, voice words here. It's something that happens to us. And why is that? It's because the active voice is really uh, within the verb presenting your bodies in verse one. So do you see the flow here? We're to present our bodies to God. We're to surrender our life to God and then he does his work in us. And this is what Paul is calling for. This is what God through Paul is calling for. A surrender of our body, a surrender of our life. And then in this um, position where we're on the surgery table, where our life is open and exposed for, for all of God's work, then God does his work in us. He's the surgeon. He opens us up and he begins to, from the inside out, transform us and create in us his character. And then we live that out in, in the power of the spirit. Spiritual gifts is one of the things that shows up first. So we're to present our bodies. We're to be transformed. And we're to live in the power of the spirit using our spiritual gifts. All of that is also hinged to a four. And this is where I think it just really gets even uh, more invigorating because look at verse one. He makes this appeal to them, by the way, to present their bodies so that God can transform them and so they can live using their spiritual gifts. He makes this appeal, he says, based on the mercies of God. Do you see verse one? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. So the transformation is linked to something as well. And what is the inside out transformation linked to? According to this verse, it's linked to God's mercy-rich salvation. 
Now, what is that referring to? When he says, I'm appealing to you by the mercies of God, I think he's referring to all that he's written before this. Romans 1 through 11. Some would say perhaps just the end of 11. Some may say 9 through 11. I tend to believe that what Paul is saying is that he's giving a summary word for every bit of how he's unpacked the gospel, both legally and logically. In fact, think about this with me. As Romans begins, Paul makes sure he spends three chapters leveling the playing field, that there's no one who's right with God on their own, that both Jew and Gentile are equally sinful. Then he explains in four, five, six, seven, and eight, how that God has stepped in because of that and sent his son to die in the place of sinners, to take their penalty and punishment, to be their savior. And then in 9, 10, 11, he explains how that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. That is an act of mercy. In other words, we deserve death. We deserve the payment for our sin. But God sent Jesus to take that for us. And technically speaking, you know how you define mercy? Mercy is not getting what we actually deserve. You see, we deserve the death. We deserve the cross. We deserve the wrath of God for our sin. But Jesus took our place, our penalty, our punishment. Paul describes that entire act, all the logical and legal unpacking of the gospel in 11 chapters with one word, mercy. I think it's a beautiful word. I think it's an accurate word. And the cross is the most vivid depiction and a beautiful description of the mercy of God in action. And it's on the basis of that that Paul says, therefore, give your body to God. And he even makes this claim at the end. He says, this is actually your logical, reasonable service. You see that at the end of verse one, the word spiritual there means logical or reasonable. The word worship is the word for service. It refers to what the priests would do in the temple or the tabernacle. So here's, what, here's what's in Paul's mind. This is a beautiful kind of flow, a linkage. He said, in light of everything God has done for you in giving his son to die your death, it's only logical that you would give your life to live for him. When you do that, God begins the process of transforming you from the inside out. And the proof of that is that you begin to live like the verses in three through eight talk about. Thinking of others, considering yourself, using your gifts, all for the common good of your brothers and sisters. So do you see the flow here? Common good manifestations. Yes, we're gonna talk about those. We believe in those. They're critical. They're necessary for the church, but they don't exist alone. They come out of a life that's being transformed from the inside out by God. And that starts and is possible because God is rich in mercy and has sent his son to give his life for us. This is why this text about spiritual gifts must be understood in light of its placement and their priority. So, so let's just put this in a, in a real simple sentence, can we? Here's our, uh, I'll call it our five-week big idea, all right? This is what we're gonna use as a framework for all these weeks. Travis and I, as we teach through this, we'll talk about those three couplets, but we'll hang all of our thoughts, all of the other uh, specific truths, we're gonna hang them on this framework right here. We'll visit this every week. This is really what one through eight is saying as an overall text, that spiritual gifts are God's common good manifestations that flow from inside out transformation from his mercy rich salvation. 
These are linked. They're all connected. So we do this often when we meet. We say this out loud together in the auditorium. Well, can we do that today? Can, can we just say this out loud together? Maybe you're by yourself in your home. Maybe you're with your family or your spouse. But can we just say this out loud together to give us a real sense of the 30,000-foot view of Romans 12, 1 through 8? So together, here's our five-week big idea. Spiritual gifts are God's common good manifestations that flow from inside-out transformation from his mercy-rich salvation. So in light of this, I'm going to ask you to take home three action points. I want you to tuck them in your pocket. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to do these this week to keep this big idea in front of you, okay? First of all, marvel at God's mercy. In other words, repeat the gospel to yourself daily, hourly. Let the cross ever be in front of your vision. May your gaze always be on Christ crucified. May that be your only boast when you're with your small group, when you're with your family, dinner, your daily devotions, your morning prayers, your evening prayers, your driving to work, your, your, uh, whatever your task you're doing. May the gospel just be permeating your mind. May your, you meditate on the redemptive power of Christ, the, the redemptive plan of God. Never stray from this fundamental starting point and the fundamental staying point, and that is the gospel. Marvel at God's mercy. Second thing is I would say this, mind the metamorphosis. In other words, give close attention to the inside out work God is doing. Look to the corners, watch the small areas, hear the convicting voice of the spirit. Pay close attention, not to all the big things on the outside, but to the small character changes God is asking you to make. Now, when I talk about minding the metamorphosis and paying close attention to the inside out work that God is doing, here's the best way to give attention to that. And that is to feed your mind with the word of God. Because transformation starts, as the text says, by the renewal of your mind. And our minds are renewed by two things, the word of God and the spirit of God. So I wanna encourage you, read your Bible. Drench yourself with the scriptures. Make sure that this is the singular one habit you, that you really need to embrace. Other things are good. Other commands are effective. We're not minimizing those. But if there was one thing that our church leadership would encourage you to do above everything else, this would be it. Because it, it changes your mind, your thoughts. It, it's the food your soul needs. It's the, the beginning point for all other change. Read God's word regularly. So I want to encourage you, mind the metamorphosis. Give attention to the change God is bringing by feeding it with his word. And then lastly, mobilize for motion. Here's what I mean by that. Engage both your body and your mind. You know, Paul mentions both in this text. He mentions the word body twice and the word mind twice. He says we're to think about how God has made us rightly assess ourselves with sobriety and humility. We're to have our mind renewed, but he says we're to use our gifts with our body. We're to present our bodies. So Paul sees a, a holistic approach to spiritual gifts, one that includes the mind and the body. He's asking to mobilize all of yourself and get it in motion for God's purposes. 
He's not asking for thought without action. That's only analysis. And he's not asking for action without thought. That's just carelessness. He wants both involved for the good of the church. So mobilize yourself and get yourself in motion with your thought and your body using your spiritual gifts. And can I say to you, this is the church in motion. When spiritual gifts are in operation, when God's spirit's empowering his people, the church is in motion. Man, that's, that's a beautiful thing to watch. And we have seen that during this COVID-19 time in a beautiful fashion. There are a number of people who are just volunteering weekly to take meals to others. They're calling our vulnerable population. They're running errands. Uh, they're taking groceries. They're, they're checking in and praying with folks. They're creating prayer huddles. They're doing a number of things, just caring for people. It's the church in motion. I think about a number of folks who've called in and said, Todd, we want to give extra during this time to help our benevolence fund. And our church on a regular basis is helping folks who've been affected by unemployment issues or maybe a downturn in the economy or perhaps they're business owners or business employees. And, and here's the flip side of that. Many of those folks have said to us, hey, we're in a pretty good place. The Lord's been good to us in the past and we're not needy right now, so give that to someone else. It's been a, a beautiful picture of, of just generosity across the board. It's the church in motion even on the encouragement exhortation side, uh, I personally have seen in this four-week period uh, more emails and texts from folks who just reached out to me and said, Todd, be encouraged. They've sent texts and prayers and emails more so than any other time in our 15-year history here. And this has been a wonderful journey, so that's not a negative comment. I'm just saying I've seen the church in motion on a personal level, and it's very meaningful. I've seen it on a corporate level with, with meals and gifts and errands and and prayer, what I'm seeing is spiritual gifts in operation. It's the church in motion. That's why I'm so thankful that we are tackling another series to, and unpacking all that God says about this important concept, this important topic. Because spiritual gifts, yes, they're hotly debated, but they are critically necessary. But if you're just wanting the gift, you're seeking the wrong thing because gifts don't come without the giver. Remember the flow? Remember the, the, the connections, the links? Remember the two uses of the word four, verse three and verse one? So if you want the common good manifestations, I mean, you gotta give your body to God and have him do the inside out transformation. And that only comes when you see Christ in all of his sacrificial um, giving of himself and God's mercy-rich salvation. If you're wondering today, Todd, how can, how can I be part of something like that? What's that like? I want to appeal to you, like Paul did to these Romans. I want to appeal to you to give your life to Christ. To, to no longer think that's a, a out in left field request or to think like, man, you're asking a lot of me. Actually, I'm asking something of you that's quite logical. When you look at all that Christ has done for you, how could you not now give your life for him? It's reasonable. So I would ask you, this morning, you've never given your life to Christ. If you've never trusted Jesus as the only way to have your sins forgiven, would you this morning give your life to Christ? Would you surrender your life to him, the one who gave everything for you? Doing that would sound something like this. Dear God, 
you're holy and I'm not. And I can never get to you on my own. But Jesus came, you sent Jesus and he came and he lived and died and was raised from the dead to prove he's from you and that only Jesus can forgive sins. So God, would you through Jesus forgive my sins? I repent of them and I turn to you as the only way to be saved. Make me part of your family. Put me in Christ. And Lord, put me in a church where these kinds of gifts are occurring, where this kind of life is experienced, where this kind of community is seen and felt. God, begin in me an inside out transformation so that I can experience the common good manifestations of your spirit's gifts. You know what God will do? He will make you part of his family he will call you a son and daughter. You'll begin to experience an inside-out transformation and the common good manifestations in the community of the church. Amen. Your life will never be the same. This is all because of God's mercy-rich salvation. If you prayed that prayer this morning, if you asked Christ to save you, if you surrendered your life to God, would you just text me at the number on the screen? And just simply say, Todd, today I gave my life to Christ. I'd love to hear from you. And I can promise you this, our church, this community of believers, this faith family will do everything we can under the Spirit's power to help you grow and walk in this new life in Christ and in the church. We'd love to do that with you as together we live out the spiritual gifts of Romans 12, 1 through 8. Will you pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, uh, these eight verses are rich. And my heart has exploded um, just in thinking them through and trying to connect the dots. Lord, I pray that it has been clear and connected. God, I just ask that in this week ahead, you would cause every single person who calls First Family their church home and who is in Christ, God, would you help them to marvel at your mercy, to mind the metamorphosis, and to mobilize for motion? Would you continue to use this church in a supernatural way by, by helping us deploy spiritual gifts? And Lord, if there's anyone listening who sees that in operation and finds themselves rightfully drawn to that by your spirit's conviction, God, would you this morning Give them the faith to surrender their life to you, to present their bodies to you as a living sacrifice and, to, and to, to begin that relationship with you through Jesus. God, these things we ask in the beautiful good name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.